humans, hello, humans of the world. It is me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Here I am. Happy Monday to you. Happy Monday after Thanksgiving. I hope all of you had a... um, as good a Thanksgiving as possible in the age of COVID. Um, me, I was alone. Uh, and uh, that uh, involved, uh, in part, me binge-watching uh, um, Schitt's Creek on uh, uh, Netflix and uh, cooking a roast, which, uh, eh, it didn't go all that well, but the, but the leftovers were wonderful. At any rate, I am back, and I am raring to go with what will be the 100 and 51st episode of Ellie 2.0 Radio. Yes, we marked last week's 150th with a best of Ellie, and it's just the way things worked out with Thanksgiving and all that kind of stuff. But we've got a good show for you. Uh, The big interview, uh, unfortunately, is going to be an encore interview. I am working on getting new guests, but it is a a tough haul over the holidays. But we're going to do an encore interview of Caitlin Rogers, of Next Day Animations. I spoke with her earlier this year. She is a really um, uh, very bright-eyed young idealist, and you'll enjoy her interview. Uh, And uh, in my C block, I'm going to talk a little bit about some work I've done um, in in, uh, reviewing past journals. But now, here in my A block, I want to revisit someone I highlighted way back in October of 2018, and that is the Reverend William J. Barber II, who is the co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign. He's also an author, and notably, uh, in September of 2016, uh, the Reverend Dr. Barber uh, led a Moral Day of Action, the largest coordinated action on state capitals in U.S. history, calling for state governments to embrace a moral public policy agenda. Then, six months later, in February of 2017, he led the largest moral march in North Carolina state history, with 80,000 people calling on North Carolina's elected officials to embrace a moral public policy agenda. You're getting the sense about this morality and about him pushing systems. He's also uh, a 2018 MacArthur Foundation Genius Award uh, recipient, and he has much other accolades uh, to his name. And again, I, I spoke about him. I highlighted him as an idealist in October of 2018, but I have come back to him today um, because of an interview he gave to Adam Harris Uh, in the Atlantic magazine that showed up yesterday on November 29th. And and this interview is contained in an article titled, quote, Is America Healing Even Possible? I believe that uh, Reverend Barber's thoughts are um, very, very important. And that's why I want to spend the block of time talking about them. The premise of Adam Harris's article and then his interview of Reverend Barber is this, that for many, the election of Joe Biden, President Joe, as I'd like to call him, represents a desire to return to, quote, normalcy. And I've even fallen into that for sure. You know, we've heard this theme of normalcy in one way or another about 
um, in contrast to about how Trump has disrupted so many things, broken so many norms, crossed so many lines. And we've been living in a world controlled by Trump tweets, uh, Fox News interviews he gives, and, can- and his campaign rally sound bites. And people are tired of that, um, 80 million uh, plus, are tired of that, and they want to return to things that are more comfortable, certainly more predictable. And this is where Reverend Barber really digs in. Because uh, this interview that um, Adam Harris did, uh, it's a piece, it's uh, an article, but it's mainly an interview of Reverend Barber. And Reverend Barber digs in because his Reverend Barber's view is that the 2020 presidential election and I would also parenthetically add the 2018 midterms, is actually and was about creating real change. And if we go back to normal, quote-unquote normal, where things are comfortable, where we return to how things used to be, we're not going to have that change. Reverend Barber's view is that only through discomfort, particularly through making politicians uncomfortable, can the stage be set for real change? Fundamental change, lasting change. I certainly don't disagree with Reverend Barber on this. I, you know, my work uh, when I'm not on the radio um, and uh, help pay the bills is I train on human inclusivity. And a lot of that training is, tr- is talking to white-color people, white-color, not colored, white-color people on structural racism and baked-in disparities uh, that affect so many people who are not white in skin color. And one of my preliminary statements when I do that training is that I am going to make you uncomfortable because those folks, when I speak about those things, it's called, the training is called Getting Past the Bumpiness. They're going to hear about what our white forefathers, and for the most part, it was white color men, did to create a system where one skin color, that is, the white skin color, was favored all o- over all other skin colors. And when I start down the road of doing that training, after I've given the warning that I'm going to make you uncomfortable, I literally see people visibly squirming in their seats. Reverend Barber's belief is that we cannot have peace, that is, true normalcy, without justice. And in 2020-21, justice means dismantling structural racism and and, um, economic inequality. For example, the federal minimum wage has not been raised since 2009. That federal minimum wage is $7.25. In Minnesota, the, uh, the minimum wage is, is a couple bucks higher than that. But in uh, a, a dozen southern states, the minimum wage in those states is $7.25, something that has not changed since 2009. And if we took into account how productivity has increased since 1968, the federal minimum wage should, should be about $24 an hour. And if we simply just took into account inflation, the federal minimum wage should, should be about 12 bucks an hour. And here is what Reverend Barber has to say about this, um, about how we need to actually really change things so there is more justice. So, quote from the article, 
Quote, so we don't need this language that's really more about people getting along on the surface, but not having a real healing. There can be no healing of the soul of America without healing the body. The body is sick. It's sick with poverty. It's sick with the denial of health care, where you have politicians who have the very health care they don't want their constituents to have. It's sick with me for public education, which is key to our economic future and society. It is sick with all forms of racism and disparate treatment. And it's a sickness that we have to keep working on, keep addressing, which is why I think one of the great geniuses of the Constitution is that the establishment of justice precedes ensuring domestic tranquility. It says, referring to the Constitution, establish justice, then ensure domestic tranquility. Unquote. Importantly, this healing work has to happen in a nonpartisan way, by a nonpartisan movement, where we go into red states and talk about raising the wages of all people, including white color people. He cites one study that 62% of Republicans want a raise in their wages. Two-thirds of Americans want health care and coverage for pre-existing conditions. This is how Reverend Barber put it. So bear in mind, here's another long quote. Quote, I think that Biden and Vice President-elect Harris need to come south when they roll out the expansion for health care and for living wages because many of those states are non-union states. Every time they do a policy, they need to have Democrats on the stage, Republicans on the stage, women on the stage, black folks on the stage, Latinos on the stage, gay people on the stage. They need to show all the people this policy is going to impact so that folks see a picture, not just hear numbers. Imagine Biden in Mississippi or Alabama laying out a health plan and showing how many thousands of people in Alabama, how many thousands of white people would benefit from health care. We've got to have a political system that doesn't give up on states and doesn't write people off. I wholeheartedly agree with this. Our work as idealists, those idealists hearing me right now, our work must take us to places where we too, us idealists, are uncomfortable, where it is bumpy for all of us concerned. Yes, we all must get uncomfortable. And I think it is important that we keep in mind the idea of healing the soul of America. It's going to take staying focused and being persistent and a lot of pushing. Pushing, pushing, pushing. Most of all, we have to resist the idea of let's get back to the way things were because those things held down so many people. Go ahead and con- uh, check out Reverend Barber's interview with, uh, with um, uh, hold on, I'll get his name, Adam Harris, by Googling, Is America Healing Even Possible? And then Google Adam Harris's name for The Atlantic. Um, I'd also love to know what you think. Certainly email me at lejkrug at gmail.com. There you go. Me bringing you stuff right off, hot off the presses. When we come back, uh, we're going to do the encore interview of Caitlin Rogers and then my C-block. Thank you. 
this is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 2 to 3 p.m. Many listeners know that I train on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming to diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on equity and dismantling racism. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change how they see the world. And now I'm doing all of my work online so everyone can attend regardless of where you're located. For more information, go to elliekrug.com. Thank you. I look forward to hearing from you. Better Futures Minnesota's Reuse Warehouse has big news. We have a brand new online store. Check out reusebfm.com. This is a great way to see what we carry in the Reuse Warehouse. Appliances, building materials, kitchen and bath fixtures, lighting, flooring, lumber, heating and cooling items. Don't miss the beautiful benches and COVID safety shields that are hand-built using reclaimed wood from our deconstruction projects. Check out ReuseBFM.com. That's ReuseBFM, as in Better Futures Minnesota, dot com. How long till my soul gets it right? Can any human being ever reach that kind of light? I call on the resting soul of Galileo. And we're back. On AM 950 LE 2.0 Radio. Okay, and so I hope that I did not bore you ad infinitum with my story about South Dakota and my work there. But thank you so very much for putting up with that. And um, But now we get to pivot, and I have a really, really cool guest here in the, in the studio. I have Caitlin Rogers, who is the co-founder of this really rocking uh, organization called Next Day Animations, which is a... Uh, a B Corporation, and I'm going to let Caitlin explain that to you, but it's, you know, about social justice and, well, social conscience at least. And uh, Caitlin is also, she's a graduate of Verlum College. She happens to be a mom. She's got a, um, a husband, and she she has been featured in the Star Tribune and Minnesota Business Magazine, uh, all because she is an innovative rock star who is not even 40 years old. Caitlin <laughs> Rogers, welcome to LA 2.0 Radio. Thank you. I'm honored to be here, Ellie. Well, and, and I'm honored to have you, but you're not here because you're a rock star. You're here because you're an idealist. And just so the audience gets a very quick idea, I met you a couple of months, no, weeks ago when you came and presented to my Rotary Club mm-hmm. about your company and about the work that you were doing. And as soon as, I don't, I don't even think you've been speaking more than two minutes, I'm like, I'm going to have her on my radio show. <laughs> so welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. Thank you so much. So Caitlin, let's begin by first, why don't you tell us what Next Day Animations is? Yes, and so give us an idea of how, how you fell into that, okay? Uh, absolutely. So Next Day Animations, we are an explainer animation studio. So what we do is we make usually about two-minute-long animations or videos for other organizations. Sometimes they're businesses, sometimes they're government, sometimes they're nonprofit. Uh, What they all have in common is they have important but maybe complex or potentially boring messages that they need to get across to to an audience. So what we do is we uh, tap into the power of humor, the power of animation to captivate an audience. And and I kind of say trick them into paying attention long enough to get it and to care. Right, right. So, so how did you fall into that? I mean, how, yeah. you know, it, I mean, it is a very unique um, business, a very unique company, um, and I want to hear more about it, but how did yeah. you get into it? Uh, you know, the, the backwards way that everybody uh, falls into things in their life. I, I was working for nonprofits, and I was working in politics, and I was going along my career there and, uh, you know, looking around and realizing um, – I, 
I was doing work that I, I was I was just burnt out. I was doing at the time it was political issue campaigns. Um, so there's always this, these election cycles and these uh, you know crazy campaigns. You're working mm-hmm. nights and weekends, and I thought right. I, my soul can't do this anymore. I need to take a break. What am I going to do? Naturally, I did the next thing that people do when they leave politics. I worked at a Quaker summer camp. <laughs> <laughs> naturally, of naturally, course. Yeah. in the middle of Virginia, uh, called Camp Teen Adventure, and that is where I met my business partner Jesse Ostell, who is out of Baltimore. Uh, he at the time was working with nonprofits and had a project that he. Uh, we talked over just one lunch uh, one day at camp and said, "Oh, what do you do outside of, or outside of camp?" Uh, and he said, "Oh, maybe we could work together." And he thought, "Sure, sure, sure." So, uh, long story short, that was seven years ago, seven and a half years ago. And the first project, which I was intimidated to to say yes to, he he mentioned the word client coaching, and I thought I can't coach anybody on anything. Uh, so I said a Minnesota no. I said I can help with creative side, <laughs> and that became our first project. And it turns out that I love business, and I never I always thought I thought that to make a difference in the world, you had to work at a nonprofit, and uh, have been delightfully surprised to find out that yep. business is another vehicle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean you know look at you know, Bill Gates. Yeah. <laughs> it's making a difference. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so, um, but your company involves animation. I mean, we're, it involves drawing. And, and just so the audience knows, because you showed us a video at yeah. the Rotary thing about um, voting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the animation is you're literally seeing somebody draw. You know, we've all seen it where you've got like the hand there and, or the pen and people are drawing and drawing, you know, from stick figure to something and to something to something. But they're all going along. It's very... Um, it's it, it keeps your attention. There's no doubt about it. Um, how did you who's how did you drop into that? Yeah. So uh, our very first project was not an animation. It was actually a 40 page long public policy research report. Okay, I'm just fell asleep. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So did everybody else. Sorry, everybody just tuned out. Um, so how do you overcome the the boredom that comes with public policy? Well, we suggested to our client, listen. Your recommendations for this report are on page 39 out of 40. We think you need to bring more attention to your recommendations. Maybe you should try an animation or an infographic. And they said, great, can you do that? And we said, "Uh, sure. But we we did not know what we were doing at the beginning. We were figuring it out. Um, And once we did, that project was five animations. We realized, wait a second, this this works 10 times better than a report for, for getting a message across. So uh, we were stuck on animations, and from then on, we were helping folks use animation. So you had to go though. You had to go find artists. Yep, we yep we found artists. Uh, we we found professional voiceover folks that we work with closely now. Uh, and yeah, we we were not animators, but we loved animation, and that's what brought us in. Okay, now, but. You in seven years you built the company from just the two of you to now you have what over thirty uh, t- in- twenty tw- as of as of tomorrow I think we'll have number twenty starting. Okay, twenty team members. Yeah. All yeah. right, but you put up uh, when you were at the Rotary Club. You put up a picture of your team, and your team is very diverse in terms of color. It looks like very diverse in terms of gender and maybe sexuality as well. Visible LGBTQ status. Uh, I mean, we, we we care about it. I wouldn't say we're as diverse as we could be, but. Um, but we definitely are are very intentional about uh, creating a diverse and inclusive team. Okay, well, <clears throat> that's easier um, said than done uh, in our environment here. What is a B Corp? Yeah, a B Corp. Uh, so, so there's actually two different uh, 
different designations. There's a benefit corporation, which is hilariously different than a B Corp. <laughs> uh, a benefit corporation is a state designation. Uh, they essentially mean the same thing. It's it's for a organization or, or business that is doing work beyond a goal of profit. So they're doing work for uh, for, for the common good. Uh, a B Corp is a specific designation. It's the symbol with the B inside of a circle. Yep. And uh, it's, it's kind of like an organic symbol is hard to get. A B Corp uh, certification you really have to work at. And it's a, it's a higher bar than states have for what it means to be an organization doing social and environmental good. Okay, and but so you have to qualify for it, and yeah, yeah. The, and the Secretary of State issues the B Corp certification. N- not even Secretary of State; it's a whole different uh, organization called B Labs that that does the work. Oh, really? Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. So, and so, how does how does your company qualify to do that? Uh, so it took us about eighteen months. When we started the process, we thought we're good people doing good things. This will be easy. Uh, and there's actually an assessment to become a B Corp. So really, yep. So you have to score a certain number, uh, and uh, it's a two hundred point assessment. You have to score an eighty in order to become a B Corp. First time we took it, I think we scored a forty five. And Ooh. We, yeah, okay. we were like, uh-oh. okay. Uh, so it's it's cool because it doesn't tell you exactly what you have to do, but it gives you all these different routes of how you could be doing social good as a business, and, and you can choose from that. Okay. Well, when we come back from our break, we're going to take a break. I want to know what what are the routes that your company's doing for social good, okay? Great. And then we want to talk about you, okay. uh, Caitlin uh, Rogers, the idealist, okay? All right. Well, listeners, uh, we've been speaking with Caitlin Rogers, uh, who is here from Next Day Animation, which is a darn cool uh, company. We'll get you the website on the next uh, segment. Um, you're listening to me, Ellie Krug, um, Ellie, on Ellie 2.0 Radio. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Follow me on Twitter, at Ellie Krug is the handle. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more with Caitlin. Thanks. If you're looking to save money on your home or building improvement project, check out Better Futures Minnesota's reuse retail warehouse in South Minneapolis. We carry salvage building materials such as cabinetry, flooring, plumbing fixtures, appliances, lighting, and more, saving you money and saving the planet by keeping these items out of the landfill, by giving them another life. Selections change daily, and we also take donations. Go to betterfuturesminnesota.com and look under Reuse Warehouse to learn more. Let us know AM950 sent you. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. And we're back on AM 950 LE 2.0 Radio. Um, we've been speaking with Caitlin Rogers from uh, Next Day Animations. And Caitlin, before we took our break, you started talking about uh, your company being a B Corp. Um, and I have some familiarity with that because I work with a marketing uh, firm that's a B Corp as well. So what, 
what social justice, what good is it that your company is doing that qualifies for that, but just generally? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'd say there's really two levels. There's the work that we are doing in terms of what we're producing. So we are partnering with values-based, mission-based nonprofits uh, to help them bring their important messages to the world and, and do do more good as organizations. And then there's this other level, which is how we operate as a business. I joke sometimes about the idea of a, a like the world's most ethical zipper company, because I don't think you have to be making something that is tangibly um, like good uh, in order to be doing good. Um, I think you could be operating a business in a really beautiful um, way grounded in equity uh, without having to go out there and, you know, be doing an incredible mission. You can just be doing your regular work, but in an incredible way. Yeah, you could, I mean, be making widgets, but being yeah. pay, but paying people living yes. wages. Yes, Okay. Yep. Having forward-thinking policies on leave, on mm -hmm. pregnancy, on, you know, um, I just, it's interesting because I worked with a, a law firm last week and... Um, They've they've instituted um, or they've adopted. There are these programs out there that you can your company can tap into. One was about fertility, yeah. about assisting uh, couples that were having fertility issues, and the other different company um, that you know they've subscribed to, which is about helping people with um, elder care. So, mm -hmm. you know. Folks working in the office worried about their parents, worried about their aging parents. This company gives you um, a navigator. Yeah. They help um, uh, bring people in to help care for your parents and, and all that stuff. And these were benefits that yeah. this law firm was offering its team members. Yeah, people talk about the triple bottom line, profits, planet, and people, rather than just profits. So. You know, not, and people being your employees, but also everybody you interact with in business. Okay, so you've got the triple. You're doing the triple bottom line. That's what we're going for. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And how's it working? It's I working mean, really well. It's, yeah. It's working really well. We're we're unorthodox as a company. A lot of the things that we do because our our values say we should. So around things like pay equity or making decisions by consensus um, or slowing down to have really intentional process around the way we do things. It's not common. Business. It's not the common wisdom of how to run a successful business. Sometimes it's really counter to that. Right. But for us, it adds so much more meaning and engagement, and it's what we want to do. It's it's what we care about. So a lot of our, our team members come out of the nonprofit world or arts world. Uh, so they, they want to be making a difference, and we get to be doing that together as a team. So, but if you run a business every once in a while, somebody's going to make a decision that, you know, somebody's not going to like. And are you the one that makes that gets to make that decision? Sometimes, although we really do try to uh, have all of our decisions grounded in our values. So our values are partnership, inventiveness, clarity, and authenticity. So we always go back to those four when we're making a tough decision, um, and you know, try to explain what that decision's about. And uh, and we really do have a, a relatively flat organization in terms of different groups coming coming to the table and different volunteer committees that are making some of the biggest decisions. Right. Okay. Well, I'm, and I'm a, I'm a huge believer about infusing compassion into the workplace. So I had um, somebody, well, I think it was the law firm last week. I don't know. It, it, within the last week, somebody came to me about how do we, how do we add compassion into the, into the mix when sometimes you have to make very tough business decisions. Mm. 
Uh, tell me, what is the website if people want to find out about Next Day Animations? Nextdayanimations.com. Okay. Now, Caitlin, you're, um, you're in your mid-30s. You're running a company. It's a rock star company, as far as I can tell. It is very, very innovative. You're starting, I mean, obviously you're getting attention for the work that you're doing. What made you who you are? Okay, because it is not a given. You know, I saw you drove up here to the radio station in a Hyundai, so you're not like driving, um, I don't see you driving a, you know, a Mercedes. And, um, but, but there are values that are inherent in that. But so, um, you know, and so you're, you're all, a go-getter. Um, obviously, you're like, you know, really um, hard worker and go-getter, but you also have this orientation about how the world should be mm-hmm. in a more equitable way. How did you get to be this way? You know, I don't know how to... Um, uh, big influences in my life were things like the Girl Scouts. <laughs> I was at Girl Scout for nine years. Okay. Uh, other, you know, major influences in my life as a young person. Uh, I, I was... <laughs> very involved in marching band. And from that, I, uh, in the YMCA, I was very into YMCA camps. And I I got grounded in leadership in all three of those organizations. Uh, And just the idea that leadership isn't about uh, being out in front and getting the attention, but it's about like, how can you serve the people around you better? Uh, How can you bring people in? How can you make a difference? Uh, So for me, I think as a young person, uh, my sister, I have an older sister who's been very influential. She's always been my hero that I've looked up to. Uh, And just seeing her and how she lives and makes an impact in the world uh, has has always influenced me. What does she do? Uh, Right now, she is an organizational consultant. Uh, Her name is Laura Johansson, and she helps uh, groups around the Twin Cities and around the world with strategic planning. Okay. Well, all right. So... um, you know, very often what we he- I hear, because all, er, almost everyone who comes in for an interview, I ask, what made you an idealist? Very often I, I, I do hear that there was a, a parent or a grandparent or somebody else, a teacher, somebody else that was like this just complete role model mm-hmm. that imprinted. And as they went forward, this was the thing that they remembered. Did, do you have one of those people in your life? Uh you know, I'm lucky that I've had I've had a lot of people to look up to. Um, I, I think this is very silly, but uh, in marching band, I went off to this camp led by a man named George N. Parks. He was the the U.S.'s uh, I would say most uh, well known drum major leadership coach and a teacher. Okay. All right. (laughs) And I joke about it, but it really stays the things that I learned. I mean, when you're 16 or 17 years old, the things, yeah, that, that stick with you, it it was defining for me to hear somebody say, sit up as straight as you can. Now sit up a little taller, (laughs) you know, just little small things where you realize like, oh, uh, my, my whole, um, my whole self-limiting beliefs, uh, are affecting every, everything that I Uh. see and what I do. And how do you get past that? Okay. Well, I'll tell you something. So, you know, my work is around um, diversity and inclusion and a whole lot of other things, but all about trying to make the world better. Um, I want to ask you for the last few minutes that we have here about imagination. Mm. Because the thing that I continue to, to realize is what holds us back is a lack of imagination. We've done this the same way for the last, you know, 50 years. Why are we going to change? Um, particularly in the nonprofit world, I've mm-hmm. found that using imagination is like 
the last thing that they do. <laughs> I, I, you know, I just painted with a broad brush. I know. Sorry, nonprofit leaders. I love you all. Um, uh, what? Why do we have such a difficult time with imagination? And do you agree with me that if imagination is is one of the primary vehicles for social change? A hundred percent. Absolutely. I think people have the curse of knowledge where they know what they know. They don't know how to unknow that and they don't know what they don't know. So I think it's, a, a, I would say one of the biggest challenges is being trapped in our own perspectives. I can't go into your brain and know what you know. I can't, um, you know, I'm, I'm trapped in my own head. So what we see is what we can imagine. If what we can see is limiting our imagination, then how do we ever get past that? Um, so. Well, right. But, but, it, <laughs> but it's a huge problem. And, yeah. it's, and, it, and when you combine fear with yeah. a lack of imagination, yeah. I mean, that, that's what leads to our stagnation. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, we're taping this show a couple of days after uh, Bernie Sanders um, really rocked the Nevada uh, primary. And um, I, you know, say what you will about Sanders, but one thing that you can't, you, you can't say is he doesn't have imagination. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's broadly proposing a, a bunch of different things using imagination on how to do that. Yeah, and I, I, do, <clears throat> I do love the idea of the prophetic imagination or using science fiction as inspiration for what could be because you really do have to visualize something before we can bring it into existence. So Right, yeah. right. But I just, I don't think that we talk enough about the need for greater imagination. I mean, I, and um, one of the things, you know, you you spoke a, a, you used the word perspective a little bit ago and um you know i'm i'm always talking about how it's so different you know where i'd lived um, for 52 years presenting as male and now i get to present finally as Hilly Krug but how my perspective has changed going from you know being identified as male now to female and and all of that change in perspective, that is what fuels my work. I mean, I had no idea that the world could be so unfair mm. to so many people. I had no idea of that when I presented as ostensibly a straight white color man. Mm. And um, and now I have a well, <laughs> big idea about that, <laughs> you know, and, and what, I mean, what do you, what do you, do you see the world as an unfair place? Yes, and uh, I see people every day rising up to challenge that, which is what inspires me. Um, you know, I, I, I see that we don't have an equal playing field for folks. Um, you know, depending on the lottery of birth, where, mm-hmm. where you're born and who you're born to, you have incredibly different chances in life. Uh, and what inspires me is seeing folks who are saying, you know, this isn't this isn't the way it should be, and what can we do to really lift folks up so that everybody has what they need? Well, when, when I was in South Dakota, I had somebody, uh, a white-color woman, say that she she was really trying to change, you know, things, but she felt guilt, okay, because of, of you know, her background and what she had. And my response back was, you know, you, you didn't create the system. But you certainly can do something about making the system different. Yeah, absolutely. And leveraging that privilege. Yeah. 
Well, Caitlin, it's really been great to talk to you. Um, and I really, I'm thrilled about your company, Next Day Animations. Uh, and why don't you give the website one more time? Nextdayanimations.com. Okay. And um, I just, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to see what other good work that you're doing and uh, just uh, stay in touch, okay? Thank you, Elliot Tonar. Thanks for being on LA 2.0. All right. Well, listeners, we just got done speaking with Caitlin Rogers, the co-founder of Next Day Animations. Go check out their website. Um, she's a rock star. You're going to hear her name again and again and again in the Twin Cities. I guarantee you. And um, I guarantee you me, uh, you can go visit my website at elliekrug.com. If you want to follow me on Instagram, it's at elliejkrug on Instagram. you got to throw that J in there. And uh, I'll be back in a minute. We'll do my C block and wrap her up. Thanks so very much. Better Futures Minnesota's Reuse Warehouse has big news. We have a brand new online store. Check out reusebfm.com. This is a great way to see what we carry in the reuse warehouse. Appliances, building materials, kitchen and bath fixtures, lighting, flooring, lumber, heating and cooling items. Don't miss the beautiful benches and COVID safety shields that are hand-built using reclaimed wood from our deconstruction projects. Check out reusebfm.com. That's reusebfm, as in betterfuturesminnesota.com. Hello, this is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 2 to 3 p.m. Many listeners know that I train on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming to diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on equity and dismantling racism. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change how they see the world. And now I'm doing all of my work online so everyone can attend regardless of where you're located. For more information, go to elliekrug.com. Thank you. I look forward to hearing from you. Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Okay, Caitlin Rogers, I mean, if she did not make you smile with her degree of energy, you know, and her enthusiasm and imagination, come on, come on, young idealists. And she was certainly, um, that interview was well uh, worth re-airing. So, and thanks for putting up with my encores. I am working on guests, as I said, member Army of One. However, if you're hearing me and you know, uh, like an idealist you've come across, you know, tune me in, tip me off, email me at lejkrug at gmail.com and let me know, okay? Because I, I'm always interested in meeting new people. All right, we're in my C block now um, where I, uh, by talking about, I uh, often use a phrase, crappy memory, uh, to explain how bad my memory is. And you know, that's a product of a number of different things. I'll 64. It's also a product of um, a lot of overloading that goes into my brain. And, uh, you know, it's been a long, long life. So, and because my memory is so bad, uh, I write things down. Uh, and, you know, I mean, sometimes I, I mean, I'm writing notes a little on sticky pages, sticky things and putting on my mirror in my bathroom to remind me that I have to do certain things right now. There's a sticky in my bathroom about calling someone, uh, this week, but, um, but another factor here is that long ago I learned the value of journaling 
Um, some people call it writing in a diary, um, but I refer to uh, my memory writing as journaling. And this goes all the way back to 1976 when I was a sophomore at Coe College in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I actually, um, my sophomore year, freshman or first semester sophomore year, I went to Washington, D.C. for the semester. And Coe has a what's called a Washington term. And part of that involved uh, working with a... Um, a docent from the National Art Gallery who would take us there to the National Gallery every Friday to look at a different room, different era of painting. And she instilled in us the idea that we needed to journal our reactions to that art, our reactions to being in D.C. And um, as it turned out, uh, that uh, journaling uh, habit stuck and then translated over to my personal life once I came back from Washington, D.C. So... I, I have journals going back literally to uh, the spring of 19, well, the fall of 1976, and then the spring of 77 when I really just started writing not about art, but just about what was going on in my world. Most of you know I'm transgender. That's why the voice is so bad, um, and that I didn't transition genders until I was 52. That meant for three decades after college, was uh, quite torn, fighting myself over who I was, not wanting to come out as the true me, a woman, because of how it would hurt so many people in my life, um, people that I loved. I was also worried about how it would destroy my legal career. So in addition to getting therapy during much of that time, I journaled. I actually believe that <laughs> journaling is, is you know, the poor, the poor person's way of uh, therapy. And I journaled a whole lot. So by 2009, when I did trans transition uh, uh, genders, I had at least a dozen journals um, because the process of writing gave me comfort, gave me a process to reflect, and it helped ground me. Later on, I used those journals, uh, ones that I had written before I transitioned, as reference points for my memoir, Getting to Ellen. The memoir came out in 2013. But... Um, because I am really sold on this idea of journaling. And if you ever sit with me and you want advice, it's, you know, probably within the first 20 minutes, I'm going to tell you, hey, I'll ask, do you journal? And if not, I'm going to suggest that you do it. So I've continued to journal. So now, since 2013, I have another 16 journals. Um, and as I've reported here before, um, I'm working on the second installment of my memoir. This one is going to be called Being Ellen. The first was Getting to Ellen. This is called. This is going to be about being Ellen, about what it's like to <clears throat> live as me, um, a transgender woman, after having lived so many decades as a man, uh, presenting as a man. I tell you all of this <clears throat> because within the last two months, I've gone through all of those 16 journals and I filled up three legal pads with notes of things that I had totally forgotten. So I'm going through the journals. And I'm like, oh, I didn't remember that. And maybe this is important for me. Maybe it might show up in my book or whatever. I've got three legal pads of all of that stuff. I mean, we are talking a lot of notes. And then from all of that, I filled out yet another legal pad with themes. You know, the universe speaking to me, womanhood, third daughters. I've got two daughters, but then uh, there are a lot of young 
mentees that I have uh, that I call third daughters. Um, another theme is surviving the human condition. Another one is doing good. These are some of the things, some of the ways that my life has evolved. And as I have digested all of this within the last couple of months, some things have become clear or at least reinforced. First, and I want to make clear to you, all of you listeners, I have lived an incredibly charmed life where the goodness of so many other people has been thrown my way. Time and again, people have done or said things to me that were beyond the pale in terms of goodness. And for that, I am so very thankful and grateful. The other thing from doing all of this work with the journals and summarizing is it's caused me to reflect on the power of pushing, of being persistent. You heard that in the beginning where I talked about Reverend Barber, pushing for change. All of my contemporaries right now are dialing back, retiring, and changing their lifestyles into a retirement mode. Me, I'm going in the opposite direction, everyone. I'm ramping up, trying to create networks and positive change with what little time I have left. And I think that if I hadn't transitioned genders and if I was still alive, which is doubtful, I too would be dialing back. But now, with me finally living as me, the real me, an idealistic woman, this is just... So much more. There is just so much more I want to do. Thanks for letting me share about this. If you're someone who journals, I think you get what I'm talking about. And if you don't journal, I highly recommend that you take it up. Uh, you will be amazed at the themes of your life. Okay, that's it. I need to do a big thanks to our sponsor, Better Futures Minnesota, which gives people a second chance. Also, a big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson, who is quite the rock star in my life. Brett, you are just, you're always making me look good, and that's not easy to do. And to you, my listeners, I want to say thanks, okay? I know that I drone on at times. I know that sometimes it's like, oh, why is she saying this again to us? Um, and, you know, it's just the way I am. Um, I am. I'm an idealist trying to change the world. I'll do that until my last breath. Okay. Thanks a lot. Go out this week, do something good, try to make the world better. I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.